0: 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to take the first nine verses. As a pastor, you try to live in such a way that it, it sets pace, it sets culture, but I don't know that over the years that i pastored that I took enough time to just define relationships in the way that I see the Lord wanting us to define them. How should I relate to you? How should you relate to me? How should we relate to each other? I believe in my heart that the Lord wants us to open up these nine verses and let it give us a strategy for how we connect. It's a unique word. It's a pastoral word. And if we can live this out, we will have a rewarding, fulfilling, exciting relationship with each other and to the community around us that needs the Lord. I pray that you hear these words tonight and see these words and keep your Bibles open and let the Word of God be planted heart deep until it changes us. If the Spirit is at work at this church, it's going to show up in how we treat each other, how we connect, how we build relationships. And the, my success in building a relationship is how I perceive you. What comes to your mind when you look across this room and you see the people that are here? What, what are you thinking about the person sitting near you, in front of you, behind you, across the aisle from you? Because those thoughts are going to shape the way you relate to that person. What thoughts come to your mind when you think of a pastor? You just hear the word pastor. One person recently said, uh, being a pastor... In this day and time, and telling people you're a pastor is like having lunch with a cannibal. (laughs) Which says, as pastors, we're not doing a really good job. How do we relate? How does the Bible help us? In this unique word, let's begin at verse 1. This letter is from Paul. It says, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Sosthenes. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made, you by, he made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you not that you belong to Christ now that you belong to Christ Jesus through him God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge this confirms that what I told you about Christ is true Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day that our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this. For he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now Paul opens up this book and sometimes we read an opening and we can go quickly through it and then get to kind of the the body of what is being said. We kind of get on to the real meat of the letter. But these first nine verses are strategic for how he's going to relate to the church at Corinth. These words shape and can shape the way we relate to each other. Now know that he is talking to this Corinthian church. And there's a lot of work because that church was a piece of work. Let me just remind you that they had been seduced by human wisdom. They had drifted from the centrality of the cross. They wanted the approval of their culture. There was division in the church. Listen to this. There was sexual immorality in the church. And here's what Paul writes. That wasn't even tolerated among the pagans. They were a lawsuit happy church. They were desecrating the Lord's Supper. There was the misuse of the gifts. And Paul said of their corporate gatherings, they were doing more harm than good. These are just some of the problems, some of the challenges. So Paul goes into this, and we know that relationships are going to need adjustment and confrontation. But I want you to see how he starts the letter. Look at verse 4. He says, I always thank my God for you. Now, with what I just told you about this group of people, Paul knowing that, because he's going to write about it, how does he with integrity say, every time I think of you, I start praising God? Every time I think of you, it causes me to give thanks to God. Always, all the time, when I think of you, I praise the Lord. Paul must have a divine perspective. And I pray that we would have a divine perspective. If we can answer how Paul would have this attitude to always thank God for these people. If we can answer how he does that with integrity. It will help us to relate to each other in such an effective way. Out of this statement of I always thank God for you. We see his attitude. We see his affection. And again I just say that he has this divine perspective. He doesn't begin with correction, though there's a lot of correction that needs to happen and a lot of correction that he will give, but he doesn't begin there. He begins with his his celebration of these people. He begins thankful for these people. These first nine verses are a reference to his divine perspective, which transformed his heart toward the people. Perspective coming to the end of a school year and this one college student, she, she wrote to her mom and dad toward the end of the year. She said, well, I, I am doing some better. I would like for you to sit down as you read this letter because I'd like to tell you that I am, I'm healing from my skull fracture that I got when I jumped out of my dorm room as it burned to the ground. I was in the hospital and this guy who was uh, was a nurse was a really nice guy and he really cared for me and so while they were re- rebuilding the dorm i moved in with him and we're going to be getting married soon or at least before i start showing because i'm pregnant she then writes in conclusion i would like for you to know that i've never had a skull fracture there's never been a fire i'm not pregnant and i don't have a boyfriend However, I did fail science and history. And I just want to put it in proper perspective for you. See, perspective makes a huge difference. And Paul here has an incredible perspective. He says some important things about this perspective. In verse 1, verse 2, and verse 9, he references the call. I would like for us to relate to each other based on the fact that God has called us out of darkness into salvation. Paul recognizes that he's been called as an apostle. And he recognizes that the Corinthian church, they are people called into the family of God Verse 9 talks about being invited. It's, it's the word summoned. They had been called out of darkness into light. See, if I look at you knowing that you have been saved by grace, it's the same grace that saved me, the person next to you, the person behind you, the person sitting in front of you. And we first and foremost relate to each other because we're called out of darkness. It will shape the way we treat one another. When Paul says, you've been called, he, it's an acknowledgement of grace. And grace is all of God's initiative. Be, be refreshed by this tonight. To reference the call is to review where we were before grace. It's to review that moment of the mysterious mercy of God that came to effect on our souls. And our lives were changed. We don't understand all the workings of God to how grace made its way to us. Yes, we we see Christ as the atonement, but there's such a supernatural work of God giving His only Son and Jesus living a sinless life. First of all, being born of a virgin, living a sinless life. And being able to die as a perfect sacrifice, there's such a mystery to the mercy of God that we can never explain it. We'll never fully understand it. But I can tell you this, it should invoke the most intense gratitude that we could possibly know. Because where would we be without God calling us out of darkness? I I want you to consider this I want you to think about it I want you to feel this tonight for who am I that I would be an object of his love who am I that I would be an object of his mercy who am I that he would be mindful of me I don't know why as a boy the Lord's mercy so powerfully gripped my heart I, I, I didn't understand it then I don't have it all figured out now, but I want to tell you when I think about where I could be tonight, but for the grace of God that came mercifully calling my name, it invokes a gratitude, the unexplainable, incomprehensible mercy of God given to me a wretched sinner. Lord, I'm amazed by you. How deep, how great is the love of God God, I don't have it figured out, but I want to tell you I'm thankful that he called me by my name. Paul is aware of the deficiencies in these people. He is aware of the correction that needs to be made, but he was more aware of the calling of grace than the need for correction. Which are you? As you consider the people around you, more aware of the correction that needs to happen? Or more aware of the calling of grace to your brothers and sisters that calls them to be saved, born again? This has everything to do with how we go forward. Moving forward, healed by God and all of these different messages but this could be one of the most important as it relates to us being a healthy functioning church because as i look across this place and because i know my own heart so well i know there's a lot of correction that needs to happen in me there's a lot of adjustment that the spirit of god Wants and needs to make I'm sure it's the same with you But am I more aware of the correction that needs to happen Or am I more aware of the incredible call of god on your life out of darkness Into his marvelous life that allows you and me and all of those around you to say lord i'm amazed By you See this kind of perspective gives faith for change And perseverance for the process He is our Savior. He has addressed the penalty of sin. He has addressed the power of sin. And one day, He will deal with the very presence of sin. Right now, we are all influenced by the presence of sin. We know the conflict that is often in our own thinking and heart. We know the temptation that often it, like, seizes our soul. We understand that. But we also know that sanctification is a process. I'm not all that I need to be, but I'm not what I was. Sanctification is gradual. And when I'm more aware of the grace of God to you and the call of God that brought you to salvation, than I'm aware of correction that needs to happen. Then I have faith rising in my heart to believe for the change and perseverance for the process. I have never liked being corrected by someone who really didn't have faith in me. I don't think you should correct someone in whom you don't have the faith to change. If we try to correct people that we really don't love... I think they'll perceive that very quickly. Sixteen chapters that Paul wrote of correction. But the reason the correction was effective, the reason the adjustment worked, was because of his attitude toward them. He loved them. He was thankful based on their call to salvation. Let's continue to work with this. Verses 4 through 7, not only the word call, you may want to write that word down. I want to relate to you based on the call of God to you for salvation. And I want to relate to you based on grace. Listen to verses 4 through 7. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you. Now that you belong to Christ Jesus, through him, God has enriched your church in every way. With all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now if you continue to read Corinthians. The very gifts of grace that he is praising God for and celebrating among them. Were the very gifts that were causing grief. They were so misusing the gifts that Paul has to write extensively to try to bring correction. But in the first nine verses, he is praising God and celebrating the obvious gifts that God has given. They're grace gifts. Let's just work with this for a minute. If I was to write to these Corinthians... I don't know that I would have had that attitude. Our tendency is to dismiss someone's gift... ...when we don't see them living up... ...to the fully sanctified life. Matter of fact... ...not only are we at times... ...not thankful for people... ...we don't even like them. I'm considering my own mind... ...if I saw... All of these things that I just listed for you in the Corinthian church. First of all, would I love them? Secondly, would I really dislike them? Be one thing to like them and to love them. But I'm thinking about the challenge. If I wrote the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians. I don't know if it would have come out the way it did out of Paul's pen and his heart. So what is your relational nine for those around you? Do you see more of the correction that needs to happen or more of the call? Do you see the grace of God showing up in gifts that God has given? Or can you not see the gift because of all the grief that's a result of adjustment that still hadn't happened? You see, only the humble can identify evidences of grace in people who still need adjustment. I'm not a big comic strip kind of person, but I saw one years ago, and I've never forgotten it. It's Lucy goes into this room, Lioness is there in a chair, and he's... He's reading this book and he makes some kind of expression about how much he likes the book. And without even acknowledging the book, she says, when I see you, I, I just get that feeling. And he says, well, what feeling are you talking about? She says, it comes on me. What comes on you? She says, when I see you, it comes on me. Well, what comes on you? She said, a criticism. She sees him. And a criticism comes on her. Hear me. No spiritual Lucy's. Sila. <laughs> All right. When you think of people across this room, what do you feel coming on you? Criticism. What are you more aware of? Evidences of grace or areas that need adjustment? Have you discerned, identified, and do you celebrate the evidences of grace in those around you? Can we do that among this faith family? See if we do, this will protect us from the temptation to be primarily preoccupied with weaknesses, and it'll help us to promote gratefulness for each other, faith for change, and perseverance for the process. Evaluation should always begin with appreciation. God's at work in this church. But do you perceive it? See, this divine perspective where I relate to you on the call to salvation in your life, where I relate to you by the evidences of grace in and through your life, it gives me new eyes. Let me suggest an evidences of grace Starter's kit. Read over the list called the fruit of the Spirit. And every time you see a piece of that fruit, celebrate it. Well, that young person's wild, but they're happy. Hallelujah, they have joy. Celebrate it. Celebrate it. I am not going to pastor you as a pastor who is on your back, but on your side. I am on your side. I am with you. I am for you. I am thankful for the call to salvation on your life. I am thankful for the evidences of God's grace through your giftedness that I see. Does there need to be adjustment or correction? Yes, in all of us. But I am thankful we can be more aware. Of the grace of God than the correction that needs to happen. If you look around, you'll see the work of God. Oh, this needs to be the air we breathe. May this be the air we breathe in every ministry meeting. Every time you gather, why don't you just take the time to give evidence of the grace of God. Hey, where did we see the activity of God? Sunday is just one long list of God's grace. People that are out on a parking lot trying to help us get a place when the wind is blowing. Which would be 52 Sundays out of the year. (laughs) Sundays when it's so cold and they are out there. And rather than give them grief because they would like to maintain the visitor parking for, hello, visitors... That we would just go and and instead of giving them grief, just say, praise God that somebody was willing to get here early and be out on that parking lot in in the heat, in the cold, in, in the rain, in the dry. That is an evidence of the grace of God. When we walk through the door, there are people smiling and greeting and welcoming. That is an evidence of the grace of God. The songs, they just are filled with the evidences of God's grace. Sermons that are filled with the evidences of God's grace. Do we need to do better in the way we function around here? There will always be a need for adjustment. We need to sing better. I need to preach better. But if all we do is work on execution, but we don't work on our heart then we just perfect our routine but we never grow in our relationships yeah. church the Rachel talked about the kind of like the normal church we've perfected this deal we can greet you better than Walmart we can park you better than they can at the concert we can do it we can we we understand technology, we don't think it's a curse word anymore. We 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 use it all, way, Paul, he would have used it. And so we're using it, and we've found all these ways. If Paul is good enough for me, and so we, we've got all of this stuff. I want to tell you this this is this is awesome. But if this is all we are, then it becomes very sterile, and nobody's getting changed. But if if this atmosphere becomes filled up with people that relate to each other because we've been called out of darkness because there are the evidences of God's grace I'm not all that I need to be but I'm not what I was and you celebrate the progress you celebrate the evidence of grace yes God will adjust and God will correct but you celebrate the grace and the call my friend this will be a church with whom has no empty seats because people aren't looking for a show they're looking for the love of an authentic relationship with God I think we need to identify the evidences of grace, we need to celebrate it we need to parade it, we need to applaud it, if Paul could do that For this Corinthian church, how much more can we do this with this church? We are without excuse to not celebrate what God has done and is doing here. We are without excuse to not celebrate one another, to not praise God for one another. Every time I think of the assembly, I find myself praising God. Yes. Call. Grace. Faithfulness. Verse 8. Paul says, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free. Listen to this, from all blame. Guiltless. This church was filled with guilt. They certainly weren't blameless. They were as guilty as they could be in countless ways. Yet he writes, you will be free from all blame. How does he do that? Verse 9. Because of these words. God will do this. Hallelujah. For he is faithful to do what he says. Hallelujah. I remember years ago, there was a nightline program... And Ted Koppel says the modern day church as we have known it has come to an end. Do you notice we're still meeting and where's Ted? We have taken our shots and we deserved a lot of them. We have made a mess of things because there's just so much adjustment and correction and such a process of sanctification. But the reason we're still here is because God is faithful. I know of a man who was getting married and the bride's father said, look, I, there's just a tradition I would like for y'all to have in this wedding. He said to his daughter, you're going to come down the center aisle, you're going to come down to the song and but I would like the groom, I'd like the groom to pick an aisle and to pick a song. And I want the groom not just to come out of the side room, I want the groom to come down an aisle as well. So that time has come, the father's excited, the father loves this guy, he's excited about this marriage, it's about to happen. And so it's time for the groom to start his, his parade to the front. And he says to the father, as he's coming by the father in the lobby of the church, he, he says... I'm so glad you you trust me with your daughter. And the father says, I don't trust you. I trust God. And he said he didn't have time to talk about it at that point because the song was on. He needed to come down the aisle. Now that man has a daughter who has gotten married. And he knew that that father trusted him. And he trusts the guy that's now marrying his daughter. But he says, I understand more than ever what he was saying. For he knew if our relationship had any potential, it wouldn't be because I'm trustworthy. It would be because God is faithful. God is faithful. Faithful. Paul's confidence I mean, you read this and you just think, what confidence? But his confidence was not in people, it was in God. And because he had such a confidence in God, he could have a strong heart and belief in people. God is faithful. You and I will have some Corinthian experiences, but God is faithful. Let me say this and put it right in the heart of this church. You've had a Corinthian experience, but you're still growing and moving forward. Why? Because God is faithful. If we can just relate to each other because we're called out of darkness, saved by the grace of God, We've been given grace gifts. And every time you see anyone of any age showing the evidence of those grace gifts, celebrate it. Recognize it. Cheer them on. Be more aware of the call and the grace than the need for correction. You may say, well, pastor's never going to correct anybody. That would be to miss the rest of the whole book of Corinthians. Corinthians. 16 chapters of correction, but the only reason it worked was because of his heart in the first nine verses. And I think the tendency in in, in our flesh is to just see the weaknesses, to be preoccupied with weaknesses, to see all the cracks in the armor, to see all of the adjustments, and to see all of the correction that needs to happen. And forget that sanctification is a process. And if I view you as called out by God's grace, gifted by God, knowing that God is faithful, I celebrate you. I can celebrate where you are. I can celebrate the fact that you are going a lot farther than you are now. And I'm going a lot farther because there's so much work that needs to happen in all of us. But wow, to... To look at anyone, to look at these young people, to look at one another, not with those empty words that come from a heart that expresses, I really don't believe in you. I expect you to fail. I really don't even like you. You miserable case. But to have that heart that believes and can be like Jesus who looked past my faults. And saw my need. And he believed in me. Church, God is faithful. God is good. And his goodness shows that he's given us one another. So as you think about people across the room, as we think about one another, can we celebrate one another? Can we celebrate the work of God in our hearts? Can we praise God for one another that we're called out of darkness? Can we praise God and celebrate those evidences of grace even though there's a lot of correction that needs to happen? And can we do so knowing that at the end of the day, what makes it all happen is that God is faithful. Somehow he's coming back for a church that's without spot or a wrinkle. He is and so he's going to get out the wrinkles and remove all the spots. He's coming back for his church that's ready to receive him. And I just want as many people to go as possibly can. And the sinner out there is not interested in this condemning, I don't believe in you, but hey, there is a hell and I, I don't want you to go there. People that can say, you know what? The grace of God has overwhelmed my life. God is changing me. I'm not who I used to be. And the effect of mercy on my soul can be an effect of mercy on your soul. And we'll do this journey, and I'll believe in you as you become. You know, when Jesus said to Simon Peter, he changed his name to The Rock. Everyone else said, who are you talking about? That's not this guy. He is shifting sand. You can't depend on him. He's unpredictable. And Jesus went ahead and called him who he knew he would become. And he called that greatness out of him. To as many as are the sons of God, he gives the power to become. Leadership should not be all of this, come on, quit cussing, come on, you know, we just push people, we push people into sanctification, it should be, follow me as I follow Christ, and it's called leadership, spiritual leadership, well, sometimes sermons are homiletical and expositional, And sometimes they are strategic chaos. And I hope tonight that in all of this chaos, you have heard a sense of strategy for how we relate to one another. I love you. I believe in you. I believe in the call of God to salvation in your heart and life. I believe in the gifts that he has given you I believe in the expression of those gifts. I believe in the faithfulness of God to finish what he started in you. And so every time I think of you, I thank God for you.